All right. We're all back. Right. We got to right. fix that. I don't That's going to drive me nuts. What? You going all right. Every, well, we now it's a thing. Episode. You pointed it out. So now it's a thing. So now all I have right. to say it every time. Okay. And I'm going to. Um. So, all right. We're back. It's Ronos. We're Ronos episode four. Four. Yeah. This is Ronos conspiracies. I guess we could call it that. Mysteries, more like, unsolved yeah. minds and kind of like an unsolved mystery. So. Yeah. So is mine. Not really a conspiracy. Okay. Yeah, that's fair. Um, well, what's up? How's your week going? It's good. This week went by fast for me. Yeah. We're recording on a fast. Thursday like we did last week. Mm-hmm. Um, and tomorrow's already Friday. I don't know. This week went yeah. by. I do not have anything to do quick. tomorrow except some football stuff in the afternoon, which is great. Uh, nice. As of right now, I guess that could change. Um, I am a real estate photographer or marketing person i guess all around photo video all that good stuff social and media social media um so i kind of don't always have a ton of stuff to do it's kind of it depends on the day um and some of it depends on the real estate market so um fridays are usually kind of slow and then like monday tuesday wednesday are insane thursday's iffy and that's pretty much how it goes um but yeah, just event. But I mean, we're in a place like we're in a city, so it's like, I mean, it, people are like, I feel like people are moving into this place all the time. We're in Columbus, Ohio, so people are m- moving into Columbus all the time, especially yeah. now, um, because of we're getting an Intel plant or factory or something, whatever that is. Um, yeah. I know a little bit more about it than probably some people just because I've been involved in real estate on the like marketing photo video side for the last few years. So I've heard a lot about it, but yeah, it's going to be ridiculous and it's already kind of starting like all the craziness for it. They're ordering all kinds of buses, like city buses, and they ordered 250 new city buses that are bigger than the ones they have now. I don't, I don't, when you say Intel... That goes right over my head. And I, I honestly, all I know is some biz, big corporation business something is planting their it's a domain big tech in thing. Northeast Columbus, and a bunch mm-hmm. of people are going to come work. That's all I know. Yeah, it's a big like tech thing, hmm. and they do. I I guess like data and stuff. I don't know if it's actual Intel, like hardware. Say. Okay, <laughs> you could say it's Intel. You could yeah. say they're doing Intel. You could say that. Um, but anyway. Lots Anyways, of real estate going on. Yeah, lots of real estate going on, which um, that kind of has to do with my Ronos, but actually, I go. you're first. going first this week. Let's get into it. What do you know? Mm, Ronos this week, that pineapple and pizza is good. Mm. <laughs> Another food mm, one. Last week was candy. Now it's pineapple. Yeah. It's good. Yeah. Uh, I disagree. I know. It's... Just- it's a hot topic. Okay. I it's your Ronos, I know. Yeah. But I just I don't know. For some what? reason, like sweet I know like the whole sweet savory thing. Yes. Like that's the that's the whole point. Yes. And I get I definitely get that kind of. It's not really my And the like fruit and cheese thing. Like on a charcuterie board there's fruit and cheese. Like that yeah, too. That part makes sense. And usually, but I don't put pineapple on just like any pizza. Like if it's like a veggie with pepperoni, I'm not going to put pineapple on it because that's just mixing with it. I put pineapple on it either by itself, just pineapple. So then Mm -hmm. you get the fruit and cheese 
or I like spicy stuff. And to have a sweet and spicy is really good too, especially mm-hmm. with my jalapenos. Oh, I yeah. love pineapple and jalapeno together. You're a big so, jalapeno guy. I am. I'm so slowly getting there on jalapenos. It's the pineapple jalapeno, just like if you do like habanero mango, like that type of profile that people do with like hot yeah, sauces and I stuff actually or do wings. Like that. I like that in hot sauces. It's for the sure. pineapple jalapeno. They go so well together. Yeah. And that's why I like it. Yeah. I think it's when it's when it hits the like meat for me. Like when pineapple is with meat. Yeah. When there's any like pepperoni or sausage or something on it. See, I don't and, do that though. But also pineapple with like tomato sauce. That's or um pizza sauce. Yeah. I don't know. It just is I don't know. Hmm. I mean it, it tastes I so will, weird. I totally to me. agree. It is definitely a hot topic and people are either one way or the other. Like mm-hmm. people aren't really like, ah, it's okay. Like I can yeah, do you're not with really it, whatever. But just the people that are like, ooh, that's so gross, like, boop, and have never tried it, back off. Yeah. Yeah, you've if you've never tried, tried something. it, and you're like, no thanks. Like, I get, also, it's a texture thing. Maybe mm. you don't like, like, I don't really like, like, fresh tomatoes on my, actual, like, on my pizza, because it's a yeah. texture thing. They're squishy and weird. Yeah, which I, yeah. To- I totally get it. If that's the reason, yeah. fine. If it's the, like, you don't like the sweetness on pizza that you think should be savory, fine. I get right. it. But people that are throwing shade... And saying mm-hmm. it's the most disgusting thing ever, but you've never had it, back off. Yeah, I know some people like that. You um, were like that until you recently tried it. That's not true. Yeah, it is. No, that's not true. I don't I don't throw it shade is. like that without trying things. Ignore him, it's true. My mom, if you're listening. She is. And I know she definitely is. She does that sometimes. Specifically what, when saying, I was a kid. That's with, gross without trying it? Yeah, White Castle. <laughs> but man, when I'm t- when I tell you so like when I was a kid I thought White Castle was gross. It's made out of rats. Yeah, I mean honestly, I even That's if what it my is, my dad told me all the time growing up. Even if it is, shit slams. It's so <laughs> good. And you actually just like I mean fairly recently you had it for the first time, right, with me? Yeah, probably two years ago. Yeah, I mean, I thought my entire childhood that it was like so disgusting. That's what I was always told. I was told it was yeah. gross until I tried it. And I mean, it's not like... I was also told that Waffle House is disgusting. Oh, yes. Which yes that's it, wrong. It is... Dis- I mean, not their well, food's fine, but like their kitchen is disgusting. Is oh, what I was yeah, told. yeah, yeah. If it's not gross, I'm not going to eat at that Waffle House. <laughs> if you walk in and you're like... And you're not like, eh, you know, maybe... Maybe I'll get something eating here. Like a disease or like a viral infection. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not going to eat there. Hmm. I mean, that's... It has to be, like, really iffy when you walk in. Because then you know it's going to be the best. Because, and it's, the it's reason just, it looks like that, it, the reason it looks that way is because there's just, like, grease and oil everywhere. Yeah. It's not actually that dirty. I mean, People there are standards. People working hard. They don't like, have time to clean. Yeah, that's the thing. They're, like, slinging waffles and yelling at each other to crack eggs and shit. Like, they're... Smothered. They're mo- smothered chopped. and covered and chunked and... <laughs> What's I don't know. Uh, I think um, peppered. I know that because pe- that's oh, jalapenos. Peppered. And then um, what's the one with gravy? Is that smothered? Yeah. Yeah, smothered. I like smothered a lot. Gravy slams. It's but, also you describing like how a Waffle House would look like that. It's whenever you see a Chinese restaurant and it looks like hmm. 
scary, dingy, old, you know, it's really good. The menu is just kind of like paper <laughs> that has back, it's like backlit paper. Yep. Yeah. And it's also you... faded from like sun over like decades. <laughs> yeah. Because they're always in like the worst location where the sun just slams into the front windows like every evening. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's going to be good. Anyway. Yeah. Trying Anyways. food. Never oh, try, yeah. basically never trying food and saying it's gross. Yeah. And you like pineapple on pizza. That's your I thing. I do. We'll, That's... we'll throw up a poll on the Instagram, see who likes yeah. pineapple on pizza. There, and, I know there are a lot of people And we there. will include, I've never, we'll do, yes, oh, it's good. Yeah. No, it's bad. Never tried it, but I'm intrigued. Never yeah. tried it. Don't even want to, don't care. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, hey, everybody's got to be represented. Yeah. That's what we're about here. We're all about that. Yeah. Um, all right. All right. That's my row nose. I know yeah. that pineapple on pizza is good. Mm-hmm. And if you haven't tried it and you're kind of curious about it, go for it. Yeah. And if you like spicy stuff, I highly recommend pineapple with jalapeno. Yeah. It's Anything good. with jalapeno, she's going to recommend, but especially pineapple with jalapeno. Yeah. She's all over that. Um, all right. What do you got this good job. week? Um, good job. I have, Thank yeah, you. Good work. Did I get an A plus? Great. Yeah, Thanks. That's right um sorry i'm telling my wife good job that's my bad um, <laughs> that's just how you said it myro knows is um nobody so like i said i work in real estate photography meaning mm-hmm. i am in other people's homes all day long like three or four different it's homes it, it yeah i guess it's kind of creepy when i say it like that it's not weird um yeah so when i'm walking through people's homes i mean you notice things that like Sometimes you go to a house that's like, you can't believe somebody's trying to sell this. It's just not ready. They haven't taken care of it at all. It looks like trash. It's, you know, there's just stuff everywhere. They haven't even like vacuumed the floor or whatever. Um, But every single house, with the exception of maybe like a handful, the toilet seats are up all over the house. And am I like... I don't know. I just I just don't leave the toilet seat up. And I don't think it's like that crazy. And I know it's like your own home, but even in our apartment I don't leave the toilet seat up. And I know you don't. Because- I don't because I live with you. Never in my life until I met you. It was all it always was up. Are you kidding me? Because I had dogs and they drank out of the toilet. Oh, well, that even and I thought, to shut it. That's gross. Well, I thought you always closed it cuz we had cats and you didn't want like the cats to accidentally fall and get in there. Nope, it's just something. gross. Oh, no. See, my whole life, it always, I n- never until I met you did I... Mm-hmm. I still want to leave them up every once in a while. Does that ex- explain why you just drop the toilet seat? Probably. Yeah. <laughs> when, when I didn't you, know I did that. When you shut the toilet seat, and I really don't care. I guess I've gotten used to it at this point. Yeah. And we have like a... They're like... They're not like porcelain no, toilet they're seats. They're plastic. like cheaper plastic ones or whatever because we live in an apartment. But you instead of like sitting it down you just let that shit go yeah because i've never done that in my life yeah. until i met you and so i know that you close it because i hear well, it also a little different between you and me when you probably don't just let it drop because you have mm-hmm. two seats that you're putting down that would be super loud i just have the top flap that's actually fair i never thought of it like yeah that. you're probably you like oh i don't want to like i'm just doing the top one you would never pull that second seat up. No. I certainly wouldn't. Unless I'm throwing up. If that's yeah, TMI. Yeah. But. I mean, hey, everyone throws up. Yeah. Well, um, yeah. Speaking of. What? I had too much beer last weekend and I threw up, which I never do. I've never thrown up from alcohol before, but I did. Once. What do you mean? Uber. 
Oh yeah, sorry. That, okay, <laughs> I wasn't even there. That was the next. Day. That was like a couple weeks before we met. Yeah, that's when you had like a bunch of Irish car bombs or something. Um, no, I had almost an entire handle of uh, Tito's by myself. Um, shout out to Austin. Was this oh, on? It was St. Patrick's, St. Patrick's? Day. Okay, yeah. that's right. It was St. Patrick's Day. So Irish car bombs are not, I understand why you might think that. They're not out of the question. Um, but it was a couple weeks before I met you. Uh-huh. And we were, you know, out at bars and stuff for St. Patrick's Day. We were at somebody's house beforehand. Uh, I was given an entire bottle of Tito's by my buddy Austin. Uh, he's my best friend. He was my best man at my wedding. Uh, he has Tito's around all the time at all times yes and he just he was like this one's yours and i was like oh shit if he gives you presents he gives you hugs jokes and bottles of tito's yes and well he gets bottles of tito's yeah because he's Uh, known for just loving tito's so people they're like oh if we're gonna get something for austin we're giving him tito's yeah he almost exclusively gets bottles of tito's for christmas birthdays yeah everything so he gives me one to myself and then the next morning when i was getting my uber or lyft or whatever back to my car then i threw up and i had to have the guy pull over in you know in somewhere in the middle of columbus and he was cool about it he pulled well, yeah, over and he's like me... i don't want to have to deal with cleaning this up like in my car if you well if i know they get paid i know but still like if they get still dealing with oh, the yeah, hassle of that i'd rather not get the money and be like all right fine i'll pull over but there are uber drivers that will refuse to pull over because they want the money well we got some scammers around here well yeah but anyway I mean, not like yes you threw up from citizens. drinking throwing up toilet seats anyway so it's my second time anyways going back toilet to toilet seats, seats houses they're always up to the point where so when you're when you're doing photos of a house you have to make sure everything looks the same and i, w- I was obviously told make sure that toilet seats are down mm-hmm. but I, it was so frequent that I thought I was wrong. Like I thought the toilet seats were supposed to be up. And I was like, I really thought I was losing my mind because everybody's toilet seats are always up. And I was like, am I crazy? They knew I was going to be here taking pictures. See, even though I grew up with always having toilet seats up and never putting them down, if I had someone coming over to take photos to try and sell it, I would put them down. I wouldn't think to leave them up. you would think and I just guess. nobody i don't know man i don't get it i don't understand maybe you are in the wrong maybe i am i'm gonna start lifting all the t- toilet seats i mean have you ever down. noticed when we go to my parents house yeah and over, they're that up. actually now that i think now that you say that it actually and whenever it's down i know you were just in the bathroom before me <laughs> wow that's i mean hey we're almost what almost four years in and yeah still learning something new about you didn't know that um i mean why would you yeah that's fair <laughs> you're not like hey before we started living together, <laughs> yeah. did you leave toilet seats up? Mm-hmm. All right. Well, we're going to get into our uh, mysteries. So yeah, what do you got? Let's hear it. All right. Well, I was looking up conspiracies and I didn't know if I wanted to do something like well-known that people like kind of knew about and see if I could find like more details on it. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I don't, who really cares? So... I looked up like weird things that happened in Ohio. Okay. To kind of like bring Where we it. Live. Yes. Bring it close to home. Great. And so then I was kind of looking up unsolved mysteries. And a lot of them were like kidnappings and stuff like that. You know those things. <laughs> yeah, you know. Which is always just kind of sad. So sure. I picked an unsolved one that's not really sad, but will make you think and question things. 
because I love a good UFO. Ooh, yeah. <laughs> so same. It's titled Mansfield Encounter. Ooh, okay, Mansfield. Yeah. So if you don't know, if you're not familiar with Ohio, Columbus is in the dead center. If you go south, the big city is Cincinnati. If you go north, it's Cleveland. Got the yep. three C's. Mansfield mm-hmm. is basically like right in between the middle of Columbus and Cleveland. Yeah. So it's north of us. So it happened, it says in northern central Ohio, so Mansfield, which is Richland County. And it happened on October 18th, which I also liked because we're in October now and coming up on the anniversary mm-hmm. in 1973. Also, I'll just state my sources since I'm an academic like that. Yeah, sure. Um, I use the Richland, a Richland source article, an article from Jason Schlechty, um, which he published. We all know Jason Schlechty. Yeah, we do. Um, which he published in the Mansfield Richland County, Ohio Public Library. And okay. then I referenced a lot of video on YouTube that was a clip from a documentary interview that someone had with the crew from a documentary from 1979. So, oh, okay. Yeah, only like six years after it happened. Okay. Let's hear it. So I have this like all written out. I'll try not to just sound like monotone and stuff, mm-hmm. but, uh, yeah. So a four man crew took flight in a helicopter around 10 30 PM on October 18th, 1973. The crew was led by U.S. Army Captain Larry Coyne. Okay. Yes. And it's C-O-Y-N-E, if anyone wants to oh. look that up. Yeah. Not like Come on. a flip of a coin. Okay. Anyway. All right, Larry. He piloted the helicopter, and the rest of the crew included First Lieutenant Arago Jesse, who was the co-pilot, Sergeant John Healy, who was an air medic. Shout mm. out, Matt. Hey, made me yeah, think shout of. out Matt. It's our weekly Another shout one. out to Matt. <laughs> and Sergeant Robert Yonicek. Okay. It is important to note, I found this and I was like, I need to make sure I include this because people were like, oh, they're crazy, whatever. Important to note that earlier that day, this mm-hmm. entire crew had their annual flight physical that What's they that? have in the army. So like their physical examination by oh, a doctor. To make sure they are fit yes. to... And they okay. all passed as, quote, fit and sound of mind, okay. end quote, to carry on their flight duties as a crew. Okay. So Good that happened know. literally that this day, earlier this day. Okay. So they left Port Columbus around 1030 p.m. flying Ooh. to Cleveland. And their plan was to stop in Mansfield to refuel on the way up there. Okay. They're in a helicopter, so... Oh, yeah. yeah. I was going to say yeah. this. Stuff. Yeah, my brain, I was like, weird they don't need flight. to do that, but yeah. helicopter, maybe that makes sense. I don't know. Yeah. But once they were approximately eight miles east of Mansfield, while in the air, something out of the ordinary occurred. Mm-hmm. While flying at an altitude of 2,500 feet, the crew chief sergeant, Robert Yonicek, spotted an unfamiliar red light in the air off to the east of the helicopter. You could say it was an unidentified flying object. You could. You know, a some, UFO. Some might. Some might say that. Mm-hmm. Some might just say it's an unfamiliar red light. Yannick Zek informed the crew that the light seemed to be following the aircraft in a parallel manner. So flying alongside the helicopter. They estimated that the UFO was about 15 miles away due to the visibility that they reported that night. You know, all that stuff they need to know. Mm-hmm. Shortly after letting the crew know what he saw, 
the light spontaneously changed directions and began to mm. head straight towards the helicopter at the same altitude oh, of 2,500 feet. Oh. So it's parallel with you, 15 yeah. miles away, which I don't know, maybe that seems close in the air. I don't know. Just yeah. following alongside you, and then all of a sudden it just turns towards you. Mm. Yeah, it definitely is. It's It would seem a lot closer up there, obviously, because there's nothing in between you and yeah. it. So Dark night okay. sky. Apparently you could see the stars. It was like a clear night. Okay. So you're not dealing with like Very clouds romantic. and maybe... <laughs> yeah, sure. Yeah. <laughs> So the helicopter was maintaining a speed of 90 knots. And for all of those who don't know what that means, nope. like me, That's it's me. a little faster than 100 miles an hour. Oh, okay. I can, yeah. Yeah. Um, even, tra- even while traveling at 90 knots, the crew could tell that this light was now moving at an incredible speed towards their helicopter. So at first it was just like, you know, they're like, oh, it's going the same speed as us. And then all of a sudden it turns towards them and they can tell it's going a lot faster. Dude. Yeah. No. So even You're in if, a helicopter. You can't, like... No. There's no evasive maneuver. <laughs> no. You're stuck. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And even if it is, like, if you're not thinking, like, oh, aliens or whatever, you know, you're just like, this is a red light. This could be a missile. Who knows? You know? Yeah, it could literally... I mean, even no matter what it is, it's coming at you. And this is in the 70s. Weird yeah. oh, air yeah, yeah, stuff yeah. was going on, you know? Yeah, a lot. Yeah. Anyway. Hmm. So, Pilot Coin took over all of the controls completely from the co-pilot. He went into complete control because he could see the light clearly off the east side mm-hmm. where he was in the cockpit, whereas his co-pilot, Sergeant Healy, was on the west side of the helicopter, and he didn't really have a great vantage point of the light anomaly, you could say. Oh, shit. <laughs> I had to put that in Light there. anomaly. So, he couldn't really see it super well being on that side of the helicopter, so Pilot Coin yeah. just took over all control. So Captain Coyne thought the light would make contact with their aircraft based off of its trajectory and everything. So they prepared for a possible impact. Coyne started initiation for descent of the helicopter to go to a lower altitude than the light. So obviously Mm -hmm. leave the path of impact. The helicopter altimeter. No, that's not right. It's. Yeah. That tells your altitude. Altimeter. I want to say altimer, altimeter, but it's altimeter. Yeah, right? it's altimeter. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, we'll leave you that in. It. Make me look stupid. No, you <laughs> well, learned right. something today. Surprised. Okay. Yeah. The helicopter altimeter indicated that the helicopter was now at 1,700 feet. So it had dropped a bit, almost 1,000 okay. feet, and was descending at a rate of 2,000 feet, feet for Wow. Oh. Feet per minute. <laughs> Pete for a minute. <laughs> Shut up. It's late, okay? Yeah. So it's now descending at a rate of 2,000 feet per minute. As the crew watches the red light continue its course towards the helicopter, it seems the UFO is now descending as well at the same rate. Okay. (laughs) So coming towards you, you're both declining at the same angle, same rate. It's following you. Like it knows exactly what you're doing. Yeah. Yeah. I'm out. (laughs) <laughs> well i'm jumping okay I'm i was gonna say what are you gonna do yeah I'm Sudden, out. suddenly the ufo turns 90 degrees and stops right in front of the aircraft what? so it's getting like real as soon as it's getting as like close as possible it just stops right in front of the aircraft and faces them oh shit yeah and it's shining a light into the front of the helicopter through the plexiglass windows the entire inside of the helicopter is glowing in a green light 
The crew stated that the light looked as though it was coming from like a pyramid shape out of this UFO outside. So mm-hmm. like kind of as you would expect a UFO to look like, you know, how there's the a light triangular shaped out or whatever. Yeah. And that's what it looked like. Okay. It was just a green light coming out of the base of the UFO in a, they said, pyramid shape. I still feel like I can't breathe. I don't know if I feel like nervous for telling the story or something, but. I don't know. Oh, there you go. Maybe that's <laughs> it. Okay. We're leaving it in. Okay, great. Oh, it's wet. Hell yeah. The green glow lit the entire cabin for a few seconds, but it was enough time for Pilot Coin to observe that the green light absorbed and canceled out all of the red lights that are used for night flight on the instrument panel. So if you look in front of you, how there's like red lights all over the instrument panel, yeah, the green canceled out the red light, so he couldn't see anything on the panel, like oh. any of the lights to be able to tell, like, oh, I see what you're what's saying. What's going okay. on? You know? Yeah, yeah. So any you. red lights, either alarming or saying like this is on, this is off, whatever, he couldn't see any of it. Yeah, it was just basically black and white. Yeah, yeah. So great. You yeah, can't tell cool. anything now. Um. Coyne said that he could see the UFO outside of the helicopter through the plexiglass against the night sky. And it was a solid metallic object shaped like a cigar with a dome on top of it. So kind of like what people would think a UFO looks like if you were to draw one, like an alien spaceship. Kind of like, you know. like a cigar. Well, like, I guess like cylindrical and it had like a dome on top of it. And then out of the bottom of it came the green light. Oh. Does that make sense at all? Yeah, I guess. Yeah. I, I mean, guess. that's what he said. I I don't have a picture <laughs> of it. Sorry. That's <laughs> just a weird, like, can't reference it's it. not like flying saucer. Well, I mean, like, it's also the 70s, so I don't know, like, how much they yeah. had back then. All right. That's fair. Anyway, he said the front had a the red light, the back yeah. had a white tail light, and then the green light glowed from the bottom of it into their helicopter. Okay. They could see lights reflecting off of the metal structure itself, yeah. but when you looked at the ufo the night sky around it and behind it you couldn't see any stars okay. so they were they could look like behind them and there were stars in the sky but if you looked at the ufo around it there were no stars it was just black they couldn't oh. see it okay why um, don't know hmm. yeah so the night sky was completely dark but then in a blink of an eye the ufo flew off just leaving the helicopter in the night okay just That's... gone had enough i guess it was like ah you're not important yeah then coin checked his instrument panel to see the altitude status because they were you know in a descent to see where are we what's going on although all the controls were set for a descent of 2,000 feet per minute from the altitude of 1700 feet which he Mm -hmm. had said so like i guess in my envisionment is like that stick shift thing that you always see and they're like pointing (laughs) it down yeah so literally everything is geared to do that they're actually ascending at a rate of a thousand feet per minute and they're at an altitude of 3500 feet now so they've almost doubled yeah that's high for a helicopter too i feel like and then they maxed well i don't know yeah they maxed out their ascent at 3800 feet once they were able to gain complete control of the aircraft again Mm. so literally the thing was trying to take them up tractor beam yeah yeah. I don't know. But even though everything in the helicopter was like pointing yeah. them to go down, something else was taking them up. Okay. Although they had the initial plans of landing in Mansfield to refuel, 
the crew was so frightened and shaken up that they all agreed that they would just continue to Cleveland to get out of the area as quickly as, as they could, which is uh, risky. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. They were able to make it to Cleveland and land with literally an empty like fuel gauge. Oh, like, Jesus. yeah, they were just like coasting in, but okay. they landed yeah. in one piece. So that's really all we know. Oh. Yeah. Okay. But I wanted to end on this. It's a quote from U.S. Captain, U.S. Army Captain Larry Coyne, the guy, the pilot. C-O-Y-N-E. Yes, C-O-Y-N-E. Mm. <laughs> and he said, I would like to stress one important fact, and that is that there is approximately 20 years of Army aviation experience between the four men on board the helicopter that night. We have been trained to follow procedures and regulations in reporting incidences, regardless of how they are accepted. And we have tried to follow those procedures and re-reported the incident as it occurred and have avoided any speculation on the subject. Okay. So basically, they just wanted to say, like, we take our job seriously. Yeah. We're not joking about this. Like, as soon as it happened... As soon as we landed, we reported it. We explained everything, and everyone give shit. and everyone believed us because we yeah. took everything, all of our yeah. protocols and everything seriously. And we're like, hey, we need to report on everything that happened. Yeah. And yeah. Yeah. That's all. That's all I could find on it. It's just dude, the the, the flying all the way to Cleveland and like not knowing risky. if you're gonna make it. That's, I mean, that's how scared they were. Yeah. It's like, hey, we'll risk crashing and running out of fuel. We cannot be in this area anymore. Yeah, I guess. Because I guess I didn't mention, I didn't know how important it was, but I'll just say it now. The UFO, when it left, it flew off towards the city of Mansfield in that direction. So they're like, well, we don't want to go that way. And I didn't say that. Oh, okay. But I didn't really think it was, oh, like why say it's going towards Mansfield? But I guess if you think they didn't want to land in Mansfield to get fuel at all because yeah. it went that way yeah so yeah wow. they're like we're going to cleveland that's crazy so yeah. you just got <laughs> that's like it. there's no, nothing else they no. couldn't find anything else i mean what that's crazy what are you gonna do go try and fi- find out what it was yeah, i guess that's, i mean it's just yeah that's true so that's their mansfield encounter like Damn. they didn't it was just a weird object with a light that shaped messed, like a cigar shaped, shaped like a cigar and messed with their flight patterns and stuff that's crazy yeah. Dude, but, imagine, I don't necessarily want to go up in a helicopter to begin with, mm-hmm. but dude. I've been one once, and yeah, I can't even imagine. Yeah. I Like, to me, helicopters are already just like, uh, I mean, a sin against God. <laughs> and, I mean, you're just beating the air into submission until you go, until you go up. I mean, good luck. I don't want any part of that. But hey, people love it. Um, On top of that, now you have something chasing after you and you don't know what it is. Yeah. But if you watch, Um, we'll have to watch the interview together sometime. But oh, yeah. Like if you watch this interview, which I'm sure just, I forget what it was on YouTube, but just Mansfield Encounter on YouTube or something. But these guys are like they seem like no nonsense like are these aren't like guys that you're like oh they're they're maybe straightforward you know whatever yeah Yeah. they're like no like this legit happened and again why i noted importantly in the beginning was like they were all just cleared as yeah as sound they're good that's true nothing's wrong and then that happened and now they're not (laughs) 
Yeah, now that you're <laughs> now just, they're messed up. Now there's something wrong. Anyway, so yeah, that right. was my little cons- not really con- maybe UFO if that's a broad conspiracy, but more just yeah, unsolved mystery. Who knows what happened? Yeah, I feel like UFOs in general are a conspiracy theory, I guess, of sorts. People. Yeah are very divided on whether or not they exist and i there's no way that well we are the only well for life. sure but also did this make you think of anything it made me think of hold on hold on it made me think of when we were driving back to columbus oh, jesus from dayton one yeah. time i don't know we were out there just visiting oh, your family dude and we were on 70 correct 70 west yeah 70, 70 east 70 east coming back and all oh. it was nighttime it was dark and all of a sudden there was this white light in the middle of the sky in front of us yeah like, like obviously right far, yeah like far off a little bit but like it was just Dude. a white light there, and we're like, "What is that? Like, it's not a headlight. It's too high up. It's and it not, wasn't moving. It wasn't moving. It couldn't have been like uh, internet the, poles, you know, oh, like yeah, whatever, yeah. like some sort of tower. It was not yeah. anywhere. We're in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. We're driving and from it was right in Dayton the dead to, center of yeah. like of the roadway, just straight above us. It was almost yeah. as if the yeah. North Star is like you know, like in a movie how they yeah, would yeah. show that, like it's right there, it's shining bright. It was just yeah. Right, and then all of a sudden, it was just gone. It was just gone. And which, like, I I grew up in that area, obviously, like you said. It's right next to Wright Pet Air Force Base. There mm-hmm. are things flying around you all the time. Mm-hmm. All the time. So it's not it's not crazy to it see be, something flying. Yeah, it could it be could, any sort of aircraft. Yeah. But the, the fact that it wasn't moving. Yep. It was completely stationary from mm-hmm. what we could tell. And then, and we... we looked at it forever i mean we were driving right at it Mm -hmm. and then it just was gone at some point it didn't move in a direction no it it didn't have other lights like it didn't have any other like lights twinkling with it it was just a solid white orb almost just i blocked that out until right now and then it just disappeared yeah that was crazy yeah i so yeah when i saw this when i was reading this i was like oh i forgot about that definitely have experienced that before Anyway, we'll, we'll never know what it is. Nope. Um, all right. Good work. Thanks. Another good job. Yeah. I mean, A plus gold star. Um, my mystery, it's the Sodder children disappearance. Okay. Okay. S-O-D-D-E-R. Yes. For those that are interested. So I'll start from the beginning. Okay. Um, the Sodder family is... Starts with George, a man named George Sauter. He was born with the name Giorgio Su- Sadu in Tula, Sardinia, Sardinia is that his mm-hmm. Sardinia, Italy, I in eighteen ninety five. Yeah, he's super Italian. Eighteen ninety five. Eighteen ninety five. Right. Oh yeah, we're going back a ways. Okay. He immigrated to the U.S. when he was thirteen with an older brother, who as soon as they cleared customs at Ellis Island, mm-hmm. he turned around and went back. The brother did. Yeah, the older brother. So okay. now Giorgio, who later be, came to be known as George, okay. George yeah. Sauter, because it's just a more, yeah, they, he Americanized his name. Um, he really wouldn't talk much about why he left Italy in the first place and why it was just him and his older brother or why his brother went back. So no one really knows why. Okay. Um, so uh, Sauter eventually found work working on railroads uh, in Pennsylvania, carrying water and other supplies to like laborers on the railroads. Yeah. Lenny get Love down. Immigrant work like that. Yeah, yeah. 
Um, so just anything where he could find work. And then after a few years, found more permanent work as a truck driver in Smithers, West Virginia, which is a great name for a town. Smithers. Um, not Smithereens, just Smithers. Um, and then he started his own trunking company initially just hauling like fill dirt to construction sites and uh, like coal that was mined in the area. All right. Um, yeah. So George is making a way for himself. And then he meets Jenny Cipri, Cipriani, mm-hmm. uh, a storekeeper's daughter in Smithers, Pennsylvania, or sorry, Smithers, West Virginia, who had also emigrated from Italy uh, when she was a kid. So okay. they meet. And it's really funny that she's just labeled a storekeeper's daughter. That's all she is. Because mm-hmm. it was the twi- or the early 1900s and they're just like you're just you don't have jobs you're just yeah you're just someone's daughter yeah yeah um so they i was they meet they're they're like hey we're both from italy that's crazy uh spaghetti and then they get married (laughs) um and then they they settle down and like buy pineapple and pizza hey italy um they settle down outside of nearby fayetteville west virginia uh, had a large population of Italian immigrants, and they moved into a two-story timber frame house uh, two miles north of town. So in 1923, um, fast forward a few years, 1923, they have the first of their 10 children. Wow. Yeah. 10 children, which I, mean, I guess like large, Ita- yeah. and, like, also, large Italian family. Yeah. That's, you know. But also a lot of people tried because, like, to have a lot mm. of kids because often many died before like yeah i guess 10 it wasn't years old like... so you didn't know how many were really going to grow to adulthood yeah that's fair um and what else are women doing back then all they got to do is just make popping babies out kids and shit dude yeah. they're not doing anything they have nothing um to do. she's just the wife of a business owner of a trucking company or whatever daughter of a store man um so then uh george's business keeps um keeps growing he's prospering and they become quote one of the most respected middle class families around um, Hell and, yeah. And quote, and that's in the words of a local official. So okay. people really value what these people think. Um, they they look at them highly. Um, and then they're doing the American dream. Um, however, something bad's going to happen. I mean, obviously yeah, I mean, you're telling this, but like this course. is going way too nicely. So the, the only tough part was George had really strong opinions about a lot of subjects, specifically like political okay. things. Um, and he being from Italy, he had really, really strong opinions about the Italian dictator Benito Mussolini. Yeah. Um, so it led to really big arguments with other members of the immigrant community. There's a lot of Italian immigrants, like Meaning I said. He agreed with Mussolini's ideas? No, he, oh, yeah, I guess I should say. George Sauter disagreed strongly okay. with so Mussolini. So now he's in an which, Italian. Vi- I don't want to say village, but a community of Italians. Of, yeah. And he is now more, a little more Americanized, has yeah. different views against it. And basically everyone around him right. agrees with their homelands. And we know now that Mussolini was, you know, big piece of shit. Not, not a great guy. Yeah. Dictator, you know, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Well, some of the members of the community, just like any political figure, whatever, you can name whoever you want, no matter how bad they are, some people agree with them. Yeah. Um, so that caused a lot of rifts between him, uh, between George and other people in the community and his family. Um, the last of the Sauter children is born in 1943. By then, their second oldest son, Joe, who's 21 at the time, has left home to serve in the military during World War II. Okay. Um, so obviously, we're jumping forward about 20 years here. 
Um, so the and then the following year in 1944, Mussolini is deposed and executed. But still, for whatever reason, George's criticism of Mussolini left a lot of hard feelings, and mostly like at that point, it's just ego. Like people in yeah. the town are frustrated with him because he was so strong, mm-hmm. so strongly opinionated in that. And now um, the guy that they kind of supported is dead. So yes. people are a little angry. Yeah, so they're feeling attacked and all that good stuff. Yeah. So then, um, forward another few years, in October 1945, a visiting life insurance salesman um, comes to the Sodder home and tries to sell George Sodder insurance. Okay. And George Sodder wants no part of that. He says, like, no, get, please. I, it doesn't really say how, like, you know, rude he was about it. It seems like he was a really, like, no-nonsense, strongly opinionated man. Mm-hmm. So he probably was a little upfront about it, yeah. if I had to guess. But yeah. it doesn't really specify. Okay. Um, and because he was turned down, the insurance salesman set, tells George that his house would, quote, go up in smoke and your children are going to be destroyed. One way to handle it. Yeah. So, um, attributing, and he attributed this all to his, to George's, quote, dirty remarks that he has made about Mussolini, unquote. So, this guy is like a Mussolini fan, whatever, Mm -hmm. doesn't like that he said that and doesn't like that he was turned down from selling George insurance. Um, George is... I mean, guys. Yeah. So then they get... If you're a salesman, you got to accept some no's, you know? Yeah. I mean, you're going to get shut down. No matter hard. what their political leanings are, yeah. they're going to say it's no. It's hard when the person that you're the biggest fan of, they don't like. Yeah, that's <laughs> so You're like, ah, oh, no. You yeah. Gotta, you got to burn. Um, so then it kind of really starts to get super weird. Another visitor to the house, he's just seeking work, really, of any kind. Okay. Um, he took the, it says he took the occasion to look around to, to go around to the back of the house and warned George Sodder that a pair of, yeah, Sodder. I thought I was saying his name wrong. A pair of fuse boxes would, quote, cause a fire someday so what interesting yeah lots of um commonality there yeah a lot of consistencies here george really puzzled by this um since he had he just had the house rewired when they had an electric stove installed like earlier that year okay and the electric company the electric company told him that it was completely safe he's good to go okay it was installed by professionals doesn't mean they can't mess up but it was it was new so he was like that's weird yeah so in the weeks before christmas that year uh george's older sons had also noticed a strange car parked along the main highway through town its occupants occupants watching the younger solder children as they returned home from school so they're definitely feeling like kind of just i don't know weirdly attacked from all sides but not anything like Besides that guy telling him his fam- the, his house will burn or something, like, yeah. th- no one's, like, threatening. He didn't really threaten the family necessarily. He just kind of made some ominous prediction. So, anyways, fast forward to Christmas Eve of 1945. The Sodder family celebrated on Christmas Eve. Marion, she's the oldest daughter, she's 19, mm-hmm. had been working at a dime store downtown Fayetteville, and she surprised her three, three of her younger sisters – Martha, who's 12, Jenny, who's 8, and Betty, who is 5, with new toys that she bought for them as gifts. The younger children were excited and asked their mother if they could stay up past what they were, past what would be their normal bedtime. Okay. Um, so that's Christmas where it already Eve. is Go like for it. Christmas Eve. Christ- uh, yeah. you <laughs> no, know. you're good. 
Um, at 10 p.m., says Jenny told them they could stay up a little bit later as long as the two boys who were still awake, 14-year-old Maurice and 9-year-old Lewis, rem- as long as they remembered to put the cows in and feed the chickens before they go to bed themselves. Okay. George and the two oldest boys, John, who's 22, and George Jr., who's 16, who had spent the day working, uh, were already asleep. So after reminding the children of those remaining chores, the mom takes Sylvia, who's two years old, mm-hmm. um, upstairs, and they go to bed. Okay. Um, so then this is when, like, shit starts to get weird. Things start to go down. Um, everything kind of falls apart. The phone rings at 1230 a.m., so now so, Christmas. So now Christmas. Um, Jenny wakes up. The mom she goes downstairs and answers the woman. Um, the caller is just some woman who she doesn't recognize the voice. And she's asking for a name that Jenny is not familiar with. And then the sound of laughter and clinking glasses in the background. So probably this person is drunk. It seems just like a she's drunk and she called the wrong number. Okay. I mean, it's also like 1945. So it's not like, you know. They're not doing prank got, calls. Yeah, they're not doing prank calls. It's not like caller ID whatever. Yeah. Um. So then, um, the, so just Jenny tells her like, Hey, I think you have the wrong number. Like stop calling. Um, and she later recalled that the woman had a weird laugh, okay. which I don't know if really is that important, but it's, I don't know. It seems very specific and it seems like she wanted that noted. So, okay. Identifiable um, feature. yeah, sort. she hung up, went to bed. She did as she did the notice the light. She noticed the lights were still on and the curtains were not drawn Two things that her children always did before they went to bed if they stayed up later than the parents okay. um, marion had fallen asleep on the living room couch so jenny assumed the other children who had stayed up later had gone back up to the attic where their beds were uh she closes she closes the curtains turn on, turns off the lights goes back to bed at 1 a.m so like a half hour later mm-hmm. she's woken up again by an object hitting the roof of the house they have like a tin roof okay yeah. so an object hits the roof of the house really hard and and then starts rolling off the roof. Oh. Um, so she's woken up by that and then here she doesn't hear anything else, so she just goes back to sleep. Um, after Maybe it's an apple. Yeah. And then after another half hour, she's woken up again smelling smoke. Uh, she gets up and she finds that the room that George used for his office is on fire and the around the telephone line and fuse box. So some kind of consistency there she's mm-hmm. that's just like kind of what she notices at first whatever um then she jenny wakes george up um he wakes the older sons both parents and four of the children marion sylvia john and george jr get out of the house they frantically yell to the children upstairs but hear no response they could not go up there um the stair the stairs staircase uh-huh. i guess stairway yeah. is completely on fire so they can't get up there but they're yeah. yelling up to the kids and they don't hear anything in response yeah. they hear no response at all so i've never been in a building that's a flame yeah but i'd have to imagine it's also kind of loud like yeah fire is not quiet which i'm sure. not i'm not saying that that means that they were talking and they couldn't hear them but lenny okay lenny we don't need to make that noise Thanks. messing with the doorstep um, but I yeah. would have to imagine it's also kind of loud in there. So yeah, that could be something. I don't know. I'm just, yeah. Thank you. That's fair. Um, and then, 
so anyway they couldn't go upstairs because yeah they couldn't go upstairs they're trying to yell for the i think there's like still five kids upstairs five or six kids or yeah one of them's gone so there's five Mm -hmm. kids upstairs okay um and then john and john one of the older i think he's the oldest kid that's still there he's 22 okay Uh, he said in his first police interview after the fire that he went up to the attic to alert his siblings sleeping there Though he later changed his story to say that he only called up there and did not actually see them. So no one's really sure if he did go up and see them there or mm. if if he just yelled up the stairs or whatever. He seems unsure about it. So yeah. it's kind of like inconsistent information. Hmm. Um, they really do everything they can to save the kids up there. They They try calling the fire department. Um, their phone doesn't work, um, at the house. So Marion, right. So Marion (laughs) runs to a neighbor's house to call the Fayetteville fire department, a driver nearby or a driver passing by the house stops. They stop and run in somewhere and call the fire department, call the fire department at a nearby tavern. Um, and they're for cell phones. I know. And they're both unsuccessful because they could not reach the operator. I mean, of all time. Yeah. I know. Shit, it, like, there's just all kinds of weird stuff, like, they, you know, preventing them from, like, finding these kids, saving these kids. Who is this operator weird. talking to? Yeah, I don't know. Um, or, because Probably the phone there... Probably this insurance agent, just chatting up a storm. Yeah. Getting them a little busy. And the phone at the tavern, I believe it's saying, turned out to be broken. Mm. Either the neighbor or the passing motorist was eventually successful in reaching the fire department from another phone in the center of town. So... Um, George, then he's barefoot at this point. He's outside. I mean, it's freezing. It's Christmas. Yeah. Um, he climbs the house's outside wall and tries to break open a window to the attic. Mm -hmm. He cuts his arm in the process. And then his sons intend to use a ladder to the attic to rescue the other children. There's, and there's always this ladder resting on that side of their house at all times. Yeah. That ladder is not there. Of course it's not. Of course it's not. Why would it be there? Yeah. That ladder is not there. So they, instead of like wondering where it is, they go and get George's trucks that he used for his business. They pull them up to the house and they try to use them to climb to the attic window. But neither of them would start. Neither of the trucks would start. Somebody despite them having with a spark plug, didn't they? Maybe. I don't know. <laughs> despite having worked perfectly during the previous day. So, and there's a barrel of water that could have been used to extinguish the fire, but it's frozen solid because it's yeah. winter. I mean, that, that's not really that's not really yeah. there. Uh, the six solders who escaped the house have no choice but to watch the house just burn. They just stand I mean, there. That and, makes me want to throw up yeah. just thinking of that. They just like watch it burn for like 45 minutes. The whole house burns down. Um, they assume the other five children were dead in the fire. Mm-hmm. The fire department, low on manpower due to World War II, mm-hmm. and relying on individual firefighters to call each other. So that's how they had to, like, get everyone going is yeah. they had to, like, call each other up and be like, hey, let's go. Because mm-hmm. I guess they were probably all at home for Christmas. Yeah. Um, they didn't respond until later that morning. So it took them, like, hours and hours and hours to actually get there. But, you know, but the house is actually, like, burned down, done in yeah. 45 minutes. Um, Chief F.J. Morris said the next day that they that the already slow response was further hampered by his inability to drive the fire truck 
don't know why, requiring that he wait until someone who was who could drive was available. He was probably drunk from Christmas Eve and couldn't drive. That's that's yeah, my guess. That's probably true. Um, the firefighters, one of whom was a brother of Jenny's, could do little but look through the ashes as they were left in the the ashes that were left in the Sodders basement by 10 a.m. Uh, Morris told the Sodders that they had not found any bones as might have been expected if the other children had been in the house as it burned. According to another account, they did find a, a few bone fragments and internal organs, but chose not to tell the family. Essentially, what um, what I found from reading up on this is if a house burns for 45 minutes mm-hmm. and someone dies in the fire, mm-hmm. their bones will still be there. Mm-hmm. That's not long enough to completely disintegrate your bones. There yeah. will be bone If there's five kids... Mm-hmm. they're gonna find a bunch of bo- and it's a small house you know mm-hmm. what i mean like even though there's 10 there's well, at this time 11 people living there i mean you have like four kids in one room at that point at yeah, that oh age, yeah you know it, so it's a super small house fitting mm-hmm. all these people into it you would find bones everywhere and then it says they found some bones? it says they find bone fragments and a few internal organs but chose not to tell the family i wonder if what immediately came to my mind was i wonder if they found such a limited amount that they would think it's only like a child and they're like we don't want to tell you that like Mm -hmm. just one kid was here but your other kids who knows so you're ahead of me am i yeah oh i don't like that um let me see so um morris the police chief or the fire chief sorry told george to leave the site undisturbed so that the state fire marshal's office could conduct a more thorough investigation however after four days george and his wife just couldn't look at it anymore Mm -hmm. and he bulldozed five feet of dirt over the site with the intent of converting it into a memorial garden for the lost children the local coroner convened an inquest the next day which held that the fire was an accident caused by quote-unquote faulty wiring Mm -hmm. um among the jurors um, among the jurors who decided this in the coroner's case that it was faulty wiring is the guy who hmm. tried to sell insurance to George. Interesting. Very interesting. And told George that his house would be burned down and his children, quote unquote, destroyed in retribution for his anti-Mussolini remarks. Did Death George say anything? I don't think so. I don't think. But, well, they don't find that out until George himself doesn't find that out until later. So I guess I kind of said that out of. Out of chronological order, but yeah, he doesn't know because he's not at the hearing. George isn't at the hearing, so yeah. Um, Death certificates are made for the five children and are issued on December thirtieth. The local newspaper actually contradicted itself, saying that all the bodies had been found, but then later in the same story, reporting that only part of one body was recovered. George and Jenny were too grief-stricken to attend the funeral on January second, nineteen forty-six, although their surviving children did. So. This this house burns down, obviously under interesting or just weird circumstances. Mm-hmm. They find some of one body, mm-hmm. and that's it. There's mm-hmm. supposed to be five kids in the house. Mm-hmm. Something's up. So um, the family Do you have leads or anything, or is it just like it up for your interpretation? Well, there's there's some okay. there's some that they pursue. Um, not long afterward, as they begin to, the Sauter family tries to start rebuilding their lives. They question all the official findings about the fire. They just, it just does not sit right with them. Obviously 
They wondered why if it had been caused by an electrical problem that the family's Christmas lights had remained on throughout the early stages of the fire. Mm. So if it's an electrical issue, your lights, I'm, they're saying the power should have gone out. Yeah. And our Christmas lights were still on. Yeah. So we don't think it was an electrical issue. Mm-hmm. Um, then they found the ladder that was missing from the side of the house. Yeah. Instead of being where it should be on the side of the house, it was in an embankment 75 feet away from the house. No idea why. No one knows why. I'm sure little two-year-old Sylvia didn't drag yeah, it over it was there Sylvia. to play. God damn it, Sylvia. Um, a telephone repairman tells the Sodders that the house's phone line had not been burned through in the fire. So now they're trying to, now it they're was... questioning why the phone didn't work. So previously something had happened. Yeah, as they initially had thought, but cut by someone who had been willing and able to climb 14 feet up the pole and reach two feet away from it to do so. So So this person was (laughs) determined. It seems that way, yeah. A man... This a man whom neighbors had seen stealing block and tackle, which I actually don't know what that is, from a property around the time of the fire was identified and arrested. He admitted to the theft and claimed that he had been the one who cut the cut the phone line, thinking it was a power line, but denied having anything to do with the fire. However, no record identifying the suspect exists and why he would have wanted to cut any utility lines to the solder house while stealing the block and tackle has never been explained. Basically, a block and tackle is like a pulley system. where you have a rope and different pulleys. Cool. So, so yeah, they can't really figure out why he would want to cut power. Even Mm -hmm. if he didn't, he thought it was a power line and not a phone line. Mm -hmm. Why would he want to cut power to their house? Yeah, what are you you doing? Yeah, they don't know. And that that part has has still yet to be explained. Um, Doesn't want Santa to have power? Yeah, no kidding. And then supposed to see your house. Jenny says in 1968 that if he had cut the power line, she and her husband, along with their four, with along with their other four children, would never have been able to make it out of the house. I don't really know what. Read that again. Jenny says mm-hmm. the mom in 1968 that if he had cut the power line, mm-hmm. and she, not the phone line. Yes, she and her husband along with their other four children would never have been able to make it out of the house so she's saying he was intending to cut the power line Mm -hmm. and not the phone line so that they wouldn't make it out gotcha i don't know why that i don't know why they wouldn't be able to make it out if they cut that phone line or the power line but i don't know i guess i don't know how their house was set up do you think the fire would have gone more throughout the house then because there's power throughout the house whereas the phone was just in that one area i'm not sure i don't know i'm not an electrician yep me either sorry for that swallow by the way oh (laughs) no that's great keep it in (laughs) um jenny also had trouble accepting morris's belief that all traces of the children's bodies had been burned completely in the fire many of the household appliances had been found still recognizable in the ash Mm -hmm. along with fragments of the tin roof she contrasted the results of the fire with a newspaper account of a similar house fire that she read around the same time that killed a family of seven skeletal remains of all victims were reported to have been found in that case so jenny burned small piles of animal bones now we're getting 
mm-hmm. scientific experiments mm-hmm. to see if they would be completely consumed. None of them ever were. An employee of the local crematorium she contacted told her that human bones remain even after bodies are burned at 2,000 degrees Fahrenheit for two hours. So four so, of these kids are missing. Well. You could think. Yeah. Um, for two hours far longer and hotter than the house fire could have ever been. So mm-hmm. it was 45 minutes at the most an hour. Yeah. And they can't find anything. But that's saying they remain even after burning for two hours. So the Sodder's truck's failure to start was also considered and George believed that they had been tampered with perhaps by the, by the same man who stole the block and tackle and cut the phone line. However, one of George's son-in-laws told a Charleston newspaper in 2013 that he had come to believe that Sodder and his sons might have in their haste to start the trucks just flooded the engines. So that is a pretty explainable mishap, I guess there's, a choke and a clutch and everything and if you don't do that correctly you'll flood the engine so a more room for error sure um and if if you're you know stressed and in a hurry you could flood the yeah. engine yeah. um and some accounts have suggested the wrong number phone call to the solder house might have also might also have somehow been connected to the fire but investigators locate located the woman who made the call and she just said it was a wrong number on her part okay so that one's kind of taken out but it's still weird mm-hmm. um after that, as spring approached the following year, the Sodders, as they had said they would, planted flowers in the soil, bulldozed over the house. Jenny tended to it, tended to it carefully for the rest of her life. However, further developments in early 1946 reinforced the family's belief that the children they were memorializing might, in fact, be alive somewhere. Evidence soon emerged indicating that the fire had not started in the electrical fault um, and was instead set deliberately. The driver of a bus that passed through Fayetteville late Christmas Eve said that he had seen some people throwing, quote-unquote, balls of fire at the house. So this is just like a bus, a random bus driver going through Fayetteville the night of Christmas Eve. Um, A few months later, when the snow had melted, Sylvia found a small, hard, dark green rubber ball-like object in the brush nearby. So George, something that could have hit a tin roof and rolled off. That's exactly right. Mm. George, recalling his wife's account of a loud thump on the roof before the fire, said it looked like a pineapple bomb, hand grenade, or some other incendiary device used in combat. Mm. I don't know what a pineapple bomb is. I mean, Whatever. I would think a grenade, like a grenade kind of looks like a pineapple. That's what I would think. Uh, yeah. I don't know if that's what that means. Um, the family later claimed that contrary to the fire marshal's conclusion, the fire had started on the roof, although by then there was no way to prove it. Obviously, the whole thing is gone. There's no, You can't really prove it. Uh, other witnesses... Oh, yeah. It's just a grenade. Pineapple bomb. Mm-hmm. Pineapple um, pizza. All right. Pine- <laughs> yep, there it is. It's all circle. connected. Um, other witnesses claimed to have seen the missing solder children themselves. One woman who had been watching the fire from the road said she had seen some of them peering out of a passing car while the house was burning. Who, who's to say that was, that's real. Another woman at a rest stop between Fayetteville and Charleston said that she had served them breakfast the next morning and noted the presence of a car with a Florida license plate in the rest stops parking lot as well. The Sodders hired a private investigator named G.C. Tinsley, or C.C. Tinsley, sorry, from the nearby town of Golly Bridge to look into the case. Tinsley informed the family that the insurance salesman who had threatened George over his anti-Mussolini statements sentiments had been on the coroner's jury that ruled the fire an accident. He also learned of 
rumors around Fayetteville that despite the report of the Sodders to the Sodders that no remains had been found in the ashes, Morris had found a heart, which he later packed into a metal box and secretly buried. So Morris, the fire chief, mm-hmm. found a human heart in the rubble, he says, he claims, and put it in a metal box and buried it secretly. Why are you being weird and shady? I don't, I, I don't know. Uh, Morris had apparently convinced... the fact that you find some fragments and organs, and now you want to take an organ and bury yeah. it yourself. It's fucking weird. Yeah. Um, Morris apparently confessed this to a local minister who in turn confirmed it to George. George and Tinsley went to Morris and confronted him about this news. Morris agreed to show the two where he had buried the metal box and they dug it up. They they took what they found inside the box to a local funeral director who, after examining it, told them in it was in reality fresh beef liver that had never been exposed to fire. Later, more rumors circulated around Fayetteville that Morris had afterwards admitted the box with the liver was had indeed not come from the fire originally he had supposedly placed it there in the hope that the solders would find it and be satisfied that the missing children had indeed died in the fire okay, which this is just come on that's how like that's how you're going to reassure them that the that the kids actually are dead and not like missing somewhere we're just going to fake you're going hi- yeah you're going to hide a fake heart and it's actually just beef liver um then later on in 1949 um they George sees um, a young ballet dancer in New York City. He thinks it looks like his missing daughter, Betty. He drives to New York, demands to see this girl. (laughs) And they're like, like they're like, no. Um, So that goes nowhere. He even tries to get it to the FBI. They said no. Um, And then let me see. Later on, there's, there's even like, Basically, more family keep looking into this, and they even they even get a letter um, in 1967 okay. that brought the Sodders what they believed was the most credible evidence that at least Lewis was still alive. Okay. One day, Jenny found them found in the mail a letter addressed to her, postmarked Central City, Kentucky, with no return address. Inside was a picture of a young man around 30 with features strongly resembling Lewis's, okay. who had who would have been in his 30s if he had survived. Mm-hmm. Um, on the back was written, quote, Louis Sauter, I love brother Frankie. I-L-I-L-I-L-I-L-I-L-I-L-I-L-I-L-I-L-I-L-I-L-I-L-I-L-I-L-I-L-I-L-I-L-I-L-I-L-I-L-I-L-I-L-I-L-I-L-I-L-
just outside of the town that has the five children's photos on it that has been there for 50 plus years. The same billboard has been there for 50 plus years, offering a $5,000 reward for any information on it that would lead them to any of the five children. Yeah. And they finally take that down. So to this day, they have never found a single child. They don't know where they went. And they found the only the bone fragments they found, mm-hmm. they said, were the fragments of a vertebrae, mm-hmm. but they were not fused. So at a certain age, your vertebrae start to fuse a little bit. Yeah. And I think like 23 is a big cutoff okay. for these two very specific vertebrae that they mention. Uh, now I, I can't remember to save my life, but those were not fused. So... They basically said they couldn't be over 22 years old when they died. Okay, let's, the, which is none of the children. Yeah, only one of them was 22 yeah. and he got out. Yeah. Um, and they couldn't have been any younger than 13. Mm. So all of the children that were upstairs were 12 and younger. Interesting. I, come on. Yeah. Just give me something. I know. So to this day, they they cannot find a single thing. There is nothing consistent. They can't get the FBI to look into it. They just randomly got mailed this photo of who they think is their son, Lewis, and they sent somebody to go look into it, and that person was never heard from again. They can't find that person. They don't know where the PI went. Um, so, yeah, it's just it's just so, so weird. Um, and, and people who have, like, reported on it later, there was – um, a woman for NPR that did a, a story about it in 2005 on the 60th anniversary. Mm-hmm. And basically she said there is enough genuine weirdness that if someday it is learned that the children didn't die in that fire, I just won't be surprised. Like, yeah. Because it's obviously assumed that, like logically, that they died in the fire. But It's assumed by me that they were not in the fire. Yeah, there's just there's nothing. there's no evidence, like something yeah. else either they either somehow escaped and then something happened to them mm-hmm. or they were taken before the fire yeah i don't, I don't know. know it's so so weird i've never that's just so sad like you hear about these weird mystery like unsolved things all the time mm-hmm. it just i mean i mean that i guess the fact that it was like in the 40s doesn't really help because yeah. there's a lot of missing pieces just mm-hmm. like the lack of technology and communication, but and DNA, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, you can't couldn't do DNA testing yet, but yeah, it um, and those those bone fragments that were found, yeah, they don't know where they are now. Surprise. Yeah, no. So, really, what it seems like is it seems fairly simple that somebody did not like them. Mm-hmm abducted their children and tried to kill the rest of the family but i well i guess i don't know why they would abduct those children so do you think they used the ladder to get the children and then ditch the ladder i hadn't thought of that but yeah because the ladder goes up to the attic yeah or it can reach the attic Mm -hmm. where the where those kids were sleeping yeah but they would have had to like i don't think those kids would have gone quietly that's what I thought. But I was like, I don't know if they knocked them out somehow. If they drug, I don't. Is yeah. drugging people a thing back then? Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I don't it's know. It's weird. It's, it is weird. Yeah. Why is the ladder seventy five feet away? 
in a ditch yeah why why are why do all these random people have a story about it somehow yeah and they're like oh well i i saw him driving by in a car because they want to be the one to say yeah that's true someone that's true but the one that said they served them breakfast the next morning with a florida license plate that just makes me Hmm. yeah so they and the the father george had or no sorry the father george yeah had a cousin or relative Mm -hmm. in florida okay with kids that looked like his Hmm. and he had them later on like years down the road he had them dna test like prove that they were that they were yeah that they were not his children were they not no they they were they were (laughs) how wild would that be oh my god that would be insane that that's just the end of it they find him in florida um yeah so that is um the december christmas eve fire 1945 the solder family so i know there's a lot of details if you listen to this whole thing appreciate it um that's like whenever we would watch that show unsolved mysteries it's mm-hmm. so interesting but then as soon as you get to the end you're like Shit, yeah you for, you keep forgetting that it's unsolved yeah i don't get any yeah nothing's good i know oh that just is so sad I know. to then just go with like with all the possibilities that could have happened yeah. especially with these kids that are you know mm-hmm. younger than middle school yeah and the mom she tended that garden their memorial garden the rest of her life <laughs> And wore black every single day to mourn the loss of her children. Every day. For the next 44 years. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, it's a tough one. Yeah. Just get a bunch of black shit. Dang. So, yeah. That's a bummer. I know. But it's a good one. It's an interesting story. It is interesting. I think Mm -hmm. I have heard of that. It was probably a while ago, but yeah. I vaguely remember. I had like never that. heard of it. I'm actually, I'm going to keep looking even more into it and see if there's more. I couldn't find more like recent updates on it, but mm-hmm. I'm sure there's something somewhere. I'm sure there's a my, my favorite murder on it. Yeah, that's probably true. Um, so, yeah, that's, uh, that's my mystery. Forgot to mention, mm-hmm. um, I have an apparel company called oh, bison head plugging it. i'm plugging it if you listen this far you deserve it um called bison head mm-hmm. go to you can get there by going to bisonheadapparel.com or bisonhead.shop they'll both take you there mm-hmm. um and we recently put out our explore series and the each each shirt has there's eight different designs they're each a different national park they don't say the name of the national park because then we had to get into like licensing and you know Copyright all that good stuff and issues. getting permission and all that. But um, but you get the idea. Yes, from the picture. They were all drawn by Hannah. Yes. Um, I consulted. I gave <laughs> tips. Some she's she's the designer. Choices. I'm just like the business guy, I guess. Yeah. Um, with the dream. So. So there's a um, other stuff on there too. So. Yeah, there's other stuff on there. So if you go to the website and use promo code ROW, R-O-W-E, you get 10% off your first order. Wow. Sponsored by your own it's brand. It's sponsored by my own brand. That's right. 
So, um, yeah, use the promo code ROW, R-O-W-E, get 10% off your first um, order of Bison Head, and hopefully we'll have some more stuff coming out soon. But check out the Explore series if you like national parks, if you like outdoors stuff. Um, you know, eventually the, the plan is to be an all-around outdoor brand. But right now we're T-shirts, yeah. and um, we're going to have more hats coming soon. We have, like, a trucker hat and a golf hat right now. Go check those out. Um, those are some of my favorites. And then, uh, yeah, I've got some long-sleeve shirts and all that good stuff. So... Um, go check it out. Promo code ROW, R-O-W-E. And uh, we'll see you next week. Bye. Bye.